Hey, what's up, everybody? Um, before we get started, I just want to let you know about our first sponsor. Can you believe that shit? Um, Two Foot Parade Records. Two Foot Parade is an independent record label based in Kalamazoo, Michigan, whose uh, mission is to invest in artists without requiring them to give the label partial ownership of their work. So um, very 2020, you know, very uh, in with the times. They, they get it. They get the struggle. Very anti-Spotify bullshit. Um some of their stuff that they have out, they have the Bobber and Produce cassettes by Pistol Gang available for purchase on their website. Um, they have a Marietta compilation record available on their website. Um, the pre-order is live for Ness Lake's Low Light cassette. Um, and if you're a band and you're interested in submitting to Two Foot Parade Records, they have submissions through their website at twofootparade.com. Um, they're at Two Foot Parade on all social media. And I think they're great. Um, I've met Gabe personally. Cool cat. I can say that. Didn't mean to rhyme there. But yeah, we're really excited to have a, uh, a sponsor and for it to be a sponsor whose mission that we can actually believe in here in the podcast. Um, so big thanks and enjoy the episode. So this episode is with my buddy Pat Schufelt. Um Pat's got a solo project called Pandemic Pat and the Murder Hornets. I just said that with a straight face. Um, but Pat's a really fucking cool guy. Um, he was, well, is a part of the Scheme 13, like, booking promotion group out of Ferndale. And they were one of the first people to hit me up. Um, when I only had, like, three episodes of the podcast out, they hit me up to come do a block party that they were putting on in Ferndale that ended up turning into, like, a multi-venue show extravaganza and i ended up making a lot of connections in the diy scene through that and very appreciative to those guys um had a good one-on-one talk with pat about his solo project and kind of what inspired it and like musically thematically and the name like pandemic pat and the murder hornets i think you can assume but you know worth a listen because pat's a really interesting guy and he's got a lot of interesting perspectives um so I enjoyed it. Hopefully you guys enjoy it too. Um, another shout out to Two Foot Parade Records as you heard in the intro there. Sorry, I'm really tired right now. I'm just going to get right to the episode, but if you want to follow us on Instagram at Invite the Neighbors, on Twitter at ITNPod, on Facebook, Invite the Neighbors if you actually use that. Um, InviteTheNeighbors.Blueberry.net, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. That's our website where you can see all our archives and subscribe to your platform of choice. Um, you know, Share this episode, share your favorite episodes, hit us up. Anything you can do to help grow this pod is much appreciated. All right. Thanks, guys. Enjoy. Just like that, dude. Just like that. All right. Now we're on. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I I hate Discord. Got to be honest with you. But when I was like, when the pandemic first hit, which I uh, affectionately refer to as the pandy. Um, the pandy. Yeah. <laughs> the old pandy. When the pandy hit up, uh, I I was looking up like, all right, well, I'm going to have to do some, if I want to keep doing this podcast, you know, I got to figure out some remote way of doing it. And so I was looking into Skype and all these different things. And Discord seemed to be the easiest way to like record the audio. And I'm sure there's easy ways to do it in Skype. It was just path of least resistance. And like, that was the first one I figured out how to do. Oh, so, yeah. well, this whole thing has led to all of us having to figure out how to do things from scratch again <laughs> in a different yeah. way. So I, I feel you on that. Yeah. So 
anyways, I mean, I, I'm thinking about maybe doing some Zoom episodes here and there. Um, it's just that's just one more thing, you know, to have video. Right, and, right, and then you got to deal with syncing it up and making yeah. sure all the formatting is correct and everything. Yeah, see, that just doesn't sound good. Like, I don't know. Maybe uh, if I get to the point where this thing is in the green instead of in the red, I could pay a producer and put myself back in the red, and then I could start doing videos. <laughs> but I just don't have the time right now. Yeah, oh, I, which, I hear you, man. Well, that's but anyways... <laughs> Those kind of technical difficulties. I mean, we we've been floating the idea around here of trying to do like live streams or or something out of the studio, even if it's just like somebody playing acoustic. And it's like, well, then we have to figure out how to sync up the recorded audio off the board. You know, like the nice audio that I can pass through all the gear and everything, and then sync that up with the video, and then broadcast that from a device yeah. to get it live. And it's like it quickly becomes a mountain of uh, of technological fuckery to sort through. It you know you even gotta wonder like is it because I was kind of thinking about the same thing like maybe doing like some acoustic sessions here. Um, but you got to wonder, like, is it even worth it to go through all that trouble versus just having someone show up and just Instagram living from your phone, <laughs> you know, like, right. if, if, is it worth it to have all the extra hiccups to have the better audio quality? When do, do people care is what I'm asking. If it's just like a live stream sort of thing on a, for an acoustic set, do people really care? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know either, the and, I, and that's uh, yeah. I, I, you know, for my for my part, I'm more likely to put all that time and effort in if we were going to produce like a real, um, you know, like an audio tree session, like a live in studio session that's also being videotaped, right? You know, and yeah. that's the, you know that's a little different from a live stream because that's like a piece of work that you would present and you could even like promote it with a teaser or whatever you know um, yeah versus the live stream thing it's like yeah you know how many what is the, what is the average attendance on these things is it you know and do the people actually care you know they're going to tune in i think the average person might tune in and watch for a couple minutes but they're probably not going to watch an hour and a half you know um I, so but yeah that's i don't know that's my two cents on that yeah yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see. I've, I've thought about it. Like, before the, the you know, all this crazy shit, I was going to start having acoustic shows at my house, and obviously that didn't happen. It it will happen in the future, but, you know, I, I kind of want to just start doing something. I've had one episode in person recently, so that it felt nice to do that. We're all wearing masks before anyone freaks out, but, like, and we were spaced out. But it it was it was nice to uh, to just like be around people and to have some form of normalcy. But what is normalcy? You know, that's a <laughs> that's a philosophical uh, question. Right, right, right. Well, I I will say, uh, you know, we did something similar. I, well, I guess I, I shouldn't say we. I was just kind of like a random. Um, sort of cog in the machine for this one but it was a, a socially distanced you know and like i said before anybody freaks out everything was very responsible everyone was wearing masks i think the attendance was only uh 19 people or 20 people um including myself 
and it was a it was a comedy show. It's done by um, Honorable Mentions uh, Comedy Club. Um, they're uh, headed up by uh, Johanna Madranda. I don't know if you know her or not. Um, they're uh, they're really great people, man. Um, it's uh, kind of associated with three one three comedy as well. Um, but they were Johanna's been hosting, um, you know, distanced um, comedy shows. You know, limited attendance in her backyard all summer, and uh, she hit up Kyle and I um for a rain a rain contingency because she's like it's supposed to thunderstorm and this was last friday so it's supposed to thunderstorm do you guys have anywhere that we could throw a distance thing with a, a roof over our heads and uh and kyle was like hey what about that auto garage where you shot the music video and i was like i can i can give her frank's number so uh, i uh it was uh, o'brien's auto shop in ferndale it's down on on marshall street and uh frank's a really good guy the owner uh, and he had let me shoot this video in there, you know, a couple weeks back. And uh, so I, I gave uh, Johanna's number or his number to Johanna and uh, he was all about it. And we were able to have that there. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was actually really nice. So I kind of just like stood outside. They had the uh, the big bay doors open and everything. So, it was, you know, plenty of ventilation and people could just kind of walk in and out as as they please. And it was uh, it, it was really nice to just do something that felt normal right <laughs> yeah i mean obviously like the music community is one of the one of the you know those that have been kind of hit really hard one because you know you, you can't really play live but also we're a bunch of softies as artists you know we're emotional people and we're <laughs> you know what i mean we can't do this is like our therapy now we don't get that so it's like not only are people not making money and they're not being able to do it they enjoy or make a living at but they're not getting that art you know therapeutic sort of release that yeah 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 we're all we're also you know we're also all going fucking crazy on top of it (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i i feel that i mean and i you know i'm even like uh you know one of those dreaded uh basement dwelling audio engineers and i still feel that and you know but we were out there doing shows all the time with scheme 13 and everything and not being able to do that has been a huge hit. Yeah. You know, just to... I was actually one of the first shows that got canceled from you guys. I was supposed to play with Pursuer at New Way Bar. Yeah. Yep. yep. That was one with, of them. Was... You rest, I think. You rest your joy life and us. And a couple yep. more, I can't remember. Yep. Yeah, we had that one on the docket. We had uh, uh, Jay Navarro and the Traders um, on the docket. And that one got canceled, too. It was, uh, you know, that was a bummer. I was... I was Real upset about that because I was like, man, this is one of the coolest lineups that I've booked in a long time, maybe ever, you know. And yeah, and she was well, gone. I was, I was curious because, like, you know, a lot of a lot of venues have shut down. A lot of bands have kind of like disbanded. Like, I know Pursuer, we're kind of at a hiatus now. Like, where you know the door is open for stuff in the future, but as of now, like, it just doesn't make sense for a couple members of the band to, like, even meet up and jam, so, like, that's just really not happening, and I feel like that's the story for a lot of people, so I'm just curious, like, with Scheme 13, you guys were really active, and your house is kind of, like, the command central for that, so I'm just, what are the rumblings around there, like, do you, are you guys talking about, like, still trying to keep it going in the future, or, I mean, is, is Hope still alive for that? Oh, yeah, definitely, um, and I mean, the scheme is still i mean we'll still be here um obviously like we're all still friends and 
um, you know, I'm still doing stuff in music as much as I can. I mean, at this point, we're just we're pretty much down to just recording. That's that's all we got. Um, you know, so we're keeping the studio alive over here. I've got a I've got a couple projects that I'm working on, and then I just did this. Um, you know, the solo project, the pandemic pet and the murder hornets. Um, yeah, that kind of kept me busy. Um, you know, for the first part of the summer, and uh, we've been just continuing to do something just, you know, because you need to, just to keep it going. You know, that's like the whole thing. It's kind of like the, you know, the punk rock ethos of like, never say die, never give up, go down with the ship, you know, all the, all the good cliches. Um, I, I think that's really important. And I think it, um, I, I think it helps, you know, the more people that have the mentality, the more people that keep doing stuff, even if it's just whatever, an acoustic thing that you record on your phone and then post on Instagram, just to keep something going to make sure that people don't forget, um, you know, and, uh, I guess you're talking about the normal and what is, what is normal. And it was something I was thinking about. Um, you know, this morning I was thinking about what I was going to say on this show tonight and I'm, I was thinking, I, you know, I knew the phrase new normal would come up and I, I've been thinking a lot lately that, I, you know, how much I hate that phrase. I, I can't stand it. Cause I'm like, this is not yeah. the new, like new normal implies like this sense of like forever. It's going to be like this forever. And God knows none of us want that. And I don't think anybody even really thinks that's going to be the case, but it's like one of those things, the more you say it the more it becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy and people just accept that, Oh, this is the way things are going to be. And then, you you know, whether or not, whether or not that, you know, the virus goes away, you know, the pandemic will stop. Like the world has survived how many pandemics Uh, eventually, uh, you know, um, no matter how grossly it's, it might be mishandled, it it will eventually go away of its own accord. I'm I'm sure. Um, But when it does, there has to be some artists and producers and promoters left. Otherwise, there's not going to be a music scene, you know? So I, I, uh, I wanted to say something like the, uh, instead of new normal, we should call it like the current standard operating procedure. Like, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is a thing that we're, we're currently under and we're currently dealing with it, but we know it's not forever. And we're going to, um, you know, we're going to adjust our SOP, uh, as, as needed, you know? Um, Yeah. So that's, you know, the current SOP over here uh, at the moment is, uh, you know, we're recording, um, you know, over the summer I was, I had people in, um, you know, when the, when the virus numbers were lower, I mean, back in whatever it was like early July, we're looking at it and going, okay, Hey, this thing might actually, you know, it might actually wrap itself up here by winter and now, well, we're not, it's not looking so good. Um, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> we're so back we're, where we started we're back where we started so you know um haven't had as many people in lately but um it's one of those things where i'm like look if you if you're a responsible person you're not wearing your mask or you are wearing your mask you're not going out to uh tons of bars and stuff and uh you know uh attending uh political rallies or anything crazy then uh then yeah you know come over here and maybe get a rapid test first, uh, you know, to make everybody feel better, take your temperature at the door. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I'm still, still keeping the doors open here as far as the studio is concerned. And then, um, as far as scheme is concerned, I mean, we're looking, like I said, we're looking into other 
options of things to do. Just, you know, maybe do a live stream, maybe do a live in studio. Um, I'm actually talking with the, with the comedy clubs, um, about coming in here and doing like a really, uh, minimal, um, like studio audience show and we'll, we'll cut it, um, and then get it pressed on vinyl. Um, like, you know, like they used to do back in the day, like physical media and comedy yeah, used to be, you know, that used to be a huge thing, but I, I was thinking, you know, I was talking to the, to the comics and, and, you know, I'm, I'm semi removed from the comedy scene. I'm not a comic. I, I, you know, I attend a show every once in a while, but I'm not, you know, in the scene, I'm not in the know. Um, and I, and I certainly am not privy to like a lot of like any trends or things that are, are common, you know, in, in that sphere. It's, it's not my world. So I was asking them, I, I was like, Hey, do comics still do physical media? Does anybody do tapes or, or CDs or vinyl? Like, and they were like, ah, kind of, but not really sometimes. And I was like, well, is that something that you guys would want to do? And they were like, their eyes lit up and they're like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you know, cause I'm thinking like you look through your parents record bin and like, you're going to find a George Carlin record, right? Or yeah. like a, a Cheech and Chong, right? You know, like yeah, Jeff Foxworthy or some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah like <laughs> something like where they have like you know the silly sound effects in the studio and like uh you know the it would it would have been laugh tracks probably you know a little bit back then or you know a lot of times it's just a live cut of a show and I was like well we can't we're not gonna nobody's gonna be having any big shows anytime soon but like you know you've seen my live room it's small if we put you know five, six people or eight people of the audience, you know, and like three of those are the people that live at my house, you know, including myself. Um, you put, put a handful of people in the small room with a comic and you'll get like a decent sounding, you know, audience response. Um, and I think it could be really fun. Or you so could just re, uh, you could pre-record to a few people going, ha, 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 and then just insert it. Make your make your own laugh tracks, <laughs> D- DIY laugh tracks. Yeah, no, but we're, that's we're a terrible idea. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, was just, it won't it won't come out good, but we're gonna do it anyway. Yeah. No, that I think the idea of recording some comedy um, in here would be fun, and that's something That'd be that rad, dude. Something we're talking about, you know, like I said, anything to anything to keep the doors open and um, you know just keep the community together because it's you know back to that um that comedy show in the auto garage the other night so you know for anybody that doesn't know all this everybody's listening to this it's like an old school auto garage it looks like it's out of an episode of sons of anarchy like it's he's got you know old cars up on the lifts there's all kinds of memorabilia gas station signs everything all over um and it's like a big wide open space and the whole thing was just really awesome because you could tell how much it meant to everybody there that it was able to happen and able to happen safely, you know, in a manner that everybody was comfortable with. And, uh, to me, that was just a big deal. And it was really nice to see it, you know, it sort of, it, it warmed my heart, you know? Yeah. Um, it was just, like you said, just a little bit, a little bit of normalcy and like this time of just, craziness um so that was uh was really nice so you got to keep doing more stuff like that we got to find ways to you know to keep the fire burning you know yeah i want to say like keep me in mind because you know it's funny you mentioned comedy because one i've i've been wanting to get comedians on this podcast for a while because i'm a huge comedy fan like i am 
I'm just obsessed. I listen to all the podcasts. You know what I mean? I, I love it, especially live comedy. But I've been, you know, when I was talking about doing acoustic shows at my house, I also thought it'd be really cool. Um, obviously, these are all pre-pandy thoughts, but like I was thinking it'd be really cool to like do like small like alt comedy shows. You know, like if I could get connected somehow in some sort of like DIY comedy scene, like obviously I'm, I, I don't have the time or the um, energy to like create my own DIY, like 313 type comedy thing. I just don't have the energy or the time to do that. But if I could like meet people that do those types of things that are already like have the infrastructure in place, I could definitely like I would love to open up my space to those types of things. You know what I mean? And uh so yeah, it's just something to keep in mind because I know you uh I, I definitely want to be involved in that way. Um absolutely. I mean that's something like uh you know, I feel especially when uh when the old pandy finally subsides and we're able to do more things again, I think there's gonna be I, I think it's gonna be like the California gold rush, man. It's good everybody's gonna be trying to do so many things. Um at least that's what I hope. Maybe that's just wishful thinking. Um, but I, I hope that that's what happens and we're able to, um, do more events with more, you know, different groups of people that otherwise might have just been doing their own thing, um, before. And after all of this, I mean, for one, we're going to be looking at, um, a significantly decreased number of venues, um, so we're going to have to get creative on that front. Um, and, uh, and also just a general, you know, unity, uh, in the, in the artist community of like, Hey, well, we just all went through this horrifying experience and had to take a year plus off of what we do pretty much and like grind it to a halt. Um, and, and coming back from that, I think no matter what happens, there's going to be some amount of reinvention uh that has to happen whether it's you know complying with government regulations or you know like making sure that all our shows are have socially responsible safety protocol in place um or if it's just dealing with less venues dealing with less artists um you know dealing with any number of things that we might have to address in the, in the post pandemic world. Um, but you know, we're going to be there for that and we're going to figure it out, you know? And I think that's, yeah, the, that's well, the general idea. I've been telling people kind of like my, um, you know, my pep talk type thing to people who are worried about whether or not, you know, like the, the scene at large is going to take it. I think that, the thing you need to be worried about are the individual venues, um, those types of people, because, you know, venues might have to shut down and I'm not trying to be insensitive to those things. Cause that's an issue. And that's why I'm saying those are the things we need to be worried about. But in terms of music as an industry, like music, like it's going to come back. There's always going to be a demand for it. And whenever things reopen again, yeah, things may have been shut down. Things may go out of business, but like, new venues are going to be one of the the most opportunistic things for, oh, for yeah. people. You know what I mean? So that's music, live music's not going anywhere. People don't need to worry about that. They need to worry about supporting the venues that they love and don't want to see go away because new ones will come up in their place. It's just a matter of when 
And you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So it's not trying to be insensitive to those who are struggling, but like it's, it's the individuals who are struggling, not the, not the idea of live music. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. And you know, as far as like in the DIY scene, um, you know, I've been saying to people that this might be a good opportunity for us all to rethink how we approach things and where we want to host events. And like, you know, this, uh, you know, in a nutshell, I think that the post pandemic world is going to be, it would be a good opportunity to, to bring back some hall shows and things like that. Um, you know, where we're just renting out a hall for $250 a night and, uh, you know, selling $5 beers or, or whatever, you know, and, uh, and doing it that way, doing it in the, the DIY, DIY way that we used to do it, uh, you know, before that all shut down. And I think right now you're looking at like, you know, what I see is a lot of empty lions halls and BFW halls and KFCs that are not being used for anything. And quite frankly, they haven't been since, the DIY music community stopped doing shows at those places. And I think those guys, you know, they want to keep their doors open too. Um, so this might be a, a good opportunity to rethink how to reincorporate those types of places as well. Um, which would then, you know, take some heat off of the, you know, what might be the crippled bar scene, um, you know, after uh, when things reopen. Yeah. No, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's like I said, it, it's not going to it's going to happen one way or the other. We, know, we just don't know what it's going to look like just yet. But like I said, that's just whether it's closed VFW halls or it's finding new spaces like different houses will open up. Just all kinds of different things will happen. Like where it's like one of those things, like if you, if you book them, they will come sort of thing. Like if you just, Oh yeah. If you just make a space. Like if there's a show, if you got bands that are wanting to have a show, people will find a way to do it. And as long it's just a matter of, will it be safe? And once it, once it is not too worried about it, but um, no, no, me neither. I think it, I think we're just on a big pause right now and it, it's going to look different when it comes back. But like you said, there's, always going to be a demand for live music there's always going to be a demand for diy music it's it's too deeply ingrained in our culture to just go away it's not going to so you uh i'll get into now like the, personally what you've been doing so the uh pandemic pat and the murder hornet <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was awesome it's hilarious Oh, thank you. That was the, that was kind of the idea. I was like, you know, I'm going to do a, a solo project, but I don't want to take it too seriously. You know, it's supposed to be fun. Um, yeah. I was going to say, this is definitely just like a snapshot type thing where it's just a moment in time. It doesn't seem like with a name like that, it doesn't seem like you even plan on it having like a lot of like staying power as in terms of like a prolonged project. I mean, hopefully this pandemic doesn't last long enough for it to be like a, a three album. Like, uh, you know God, what I mean? Yeah, God, I hope not. I do not. If I'm writing pandemic Pat and the murder horn, it's three. I, man, that's I what I mean. Know. I hope that's not. I mean. <laughs> right. Right. Mm. But, um, but yeah, so like kind of what was that just sort of something that sprung out of like, ah, oh, I'm losing my mind. I got to do something. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's, uh, 
it's just like, Hey, you know, I got this time. Uh, you know, I, I lost my job, uh, to the pandemic. That was, uh, the company I was working for, uh, did some, some major downsizing and, uh, I, I got let go or, you know, uh, indefinitely yeah, furloughed, I think, as they say. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that happened. And I, I had this time to, uh, to sit here and record some stuff. And it was like, well, you know, we're not having a lot of people over and it's just, everything's kind of at a standstill. So, uh, you know, I'm the only one here and guess I'm going to record myself and I'm not, you know, I'm not typically, um, a vocalist. Uh, I'm not typically a guitar player. I, you know, I'm always, I've always been either the, mostly the drummer and occasionally the bass player in every project that I've ever been in. Um, so it was kind of a way to just like step outside my comfort zone, um, and sort of push myself and then, uh, just to practice being an engineer too, because when it's me recording myself, I can sit there and <clears throat> try three different guitar amps and four different guitars and move the microphones around. And, you know, it, nobody's, uh, you know, nobody's feeling rushed or they're not feeling like they're paying me a day rate and I'm spending the whole time, you know, monkeying around with EQ settings and microphones and wasting their money, you know? Right. Um, so it's a good, you know, good thing for me to practice. And it was like, um, you know, I just wanted to do some, like old school punk and see like what that sounds like coming out of my studio, you know? Um, so, now is that something where like old school punk that is that you, are you like really, is that like a genre that's already like really near and dear to you or did you like, Oh kind yeah. Of okay. That's like, yeah, that's what I grew up with. I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of what I listen to still is like in that vein, I guess, you know, people call it like, dusty trails or post-punk or whatever i'm i'm not exactly sure but you know bands like the lawrence arms i've been listening to them a ton lately um you know and then like classic bands that i love you know the bouncing souls social distortion bad religion that's like you know i grew up with all that stuff i i grew up skateboarding uh with a bunch of guys that were all 10 years older than me um so yeah. that's you know i i started listening to minor threat and black flag and no effects you know when i was probably like 12 or 13 14 you know um so yeah that stuff that's like really where i started getting into you know alternative music and you know the diy culture and like going to shows at Skeletones or Idle Kids or, um, you know, any of those old venues and just like seeing shows at skate parks and churches and basements and everything else. And that was like, I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this like weird solo project in the middle of this pandemic, like that's what it's got to be, you know? I, and I, and I thought too, like that kind of idea was like, I want to give the world like the music that it, I feel like it needs you know, which is not um, necessarily something super sad or super angry because there's enough sadness and anger going around already, um, right. <laughs> you know, you know, so I was like, uh, let's, you know, let's do something a little upbeat, um, a little nostalgic, um, you know, and kind of tackle some of the issues of the pandemic uh, lyrically and then, um, you know, musically, uh keep it keep it kind of uh consistent with what people think of uh punk rock as but also you know make it a, a little bit uh, adapted for 
you know, 2020, I suppose. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, cause I've been, as you've been talking about this, I was thinking of like, you know, how punk music is, it, it, it's like hand in hand with protests. It's like, whether it's social or, you know, political, but there's always some sort of like edge to it. There always seems to be some sort of like statement where you're protesting against something. And I feel like the aggression, the energy of the, the musicality of it kind of lends itself to that. And so, you know, that's obviously you see a lot of protests in punk songs and things like that. So I'm curious, like you said, you grew up on it and like around 12 or 13, you said you started like really getting into that. Now, I know because I'm on I'm a Facebook friend with you, so I know you're very into just like uh, you hate the establishment, as a lot of us do. You not know, a, not um, a big fan of it. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm just curious, like, how has your like what what initially appealed to you about it, like in your 12, 13 year old brain? And like, how have you how has like your appreciation of that like changed over time? Man, as that's like a, as you've like gotten older. And, yeah. You know what I'm you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, and it's, it's funny cause there's, um, so I saw something and, and man, I'm not going to be able to remember exactly where it was. It was probably just some like screenshot or meme or something, but it was like, uh, it, you know, the, uh, the old, the old saying about, uh, you know, you get older and you become more conservative or, you know, if you're, if you're still a rebel when you're 30, you got no brains and everybody's heard that, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and I think, and it was, uh, the refute to that was that, uh, it's, it's not as you get older that you become more conservative or that you become more establishment. It's as you get richer. Um, and for our generation, uh, as everybody well knows, we, uh, you know, we hold like 30% of the wealth that the baby boomers did when they were our age, I think, or something, something like that. It's a, a very small percentage right. of, uh, of, you know, so we haven't gotten richer. So, uh, none of us have gotten more conservative or more pro establishment into our thirties. <laughs> right. So, you know, and as far as what 12 year old me was thinking, I was like, man, this music is loud. It is fast. It is like, it catches my attention. Um, you know, and I, I suppose, I, I mean, I, I developed, uh, I, I would say I developed political opinions at a pretty young age. I mean, uh, my, my mom and my dad would both, you know, they would sit up and they would talk politics and they would watch the news and stuff. And I would like try to participate and, you know, um, I started reading a lot, you know, and I, you know, I started forming opinions and eventually I was like, Hey mom and dad, I don't really agree with you guys at all on any of this stuff. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) I love my parents. I love my parents. I do. But, uh, you know, uh, classic, you know, story there. And then, uh, I guess, you know, I just got sucked into the scene and, uh, it was, you know, just a lot of fun, a lot of adventure, you know, going around the, the state or the tri-state area and going to different venues, meeting different people. And that was, you know, and, and just the, uh, the ethos of doing it yourself, man, the, the DIY thing. That's what always struck me about it. It was like, you know, not just doing this because we want to sound like the next radio band and we want to get famous or whatever. It was, you know, the fact that everybody in punk rock or maybe not everybody, but a lot of people, you know, like you said, it's very ingrained in the genre is the message of protest, the, or just the, the point of having a message, you know? 
Yeah. That was what really struck me. It was like, this music has something to say. Um, you know, whereas you turn the radio on and you hear, and you know, in the, in the nineties, you hear, she thinks my tractor 60. And I'm like, <laughs> no, no. Okay. Like that music is not going to cut it. That's not, that's not good enough for me. We gotta, we gotta get something yeah. better, you know? So like, it's like you hear that or you hear, you know, any of the other number of radio hits that I could pick on and we won't even go there. Cause it's a long list, but, uh, but you know, you hear that stuff and, and it's a lot like, you know, daytime television, you look at it and you're like, this, this lacks all substance, you know? Um, right. so, so I, I guess I've been always particularly drawn to things that have substance, um, regardless of the, um, you know, what some people would say, like the academic value or the objective amount yeah, like of the talent. agenda of it or yeah. Yeah. I'm more concerned with the agenda, you know, I'm more concerned with the agenda than like if the guy can sing in key, you know, uh, it's, uh, okay. that's, yep. that's what I liked about punk rock was that anybody can do it, you know? Yeah. Um, is that it's it's about the message it's more about the content than it is about necessarily being the best guitar player or you know uh, or you know getting the uh the biggest gig it's it was about you know and you look at bands like um you know against me one of my favorite bands ever like they were out there doing the diy circuit they still do i mean they played at the trumbleplex like what like two years ago you know, they're yeah, huge, they're like a huge band, a huge world famous band. <clears throat> and they're still playing in, in garages and houses and stuff. And, and to me, that is like, that's it right there. <clears throat> yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> right. Um, that'd be rad. But that's, you know, that's the type of thing, um, that I always liked. And I, and you know, you, uh, you interact with some of these people and, it, it shows in, in like their music represents them as people. And then when you meet them and they're super nice and awesome people, you're not surprised at all. Um, you know, like I got to say that about the suicide machines. Um, I just recorded a single for them uh, a couple months ago. And oh, no. yeah, it was really awesome. Uh, and uh, that's, you know, there's another band that, and this is like, so this is like a whole, whole nother thing. This is one of the projects that I did do over the summer. Um, really glad I got to do it, but that's a band that I started listening to when I was like 14, 15 years old. And, uh, and it, you know, they've always been like among my favorite punk bands and, uh, I got to record them. Like they came over that's, to my how house. Did that happen? Um, I was uh, extremely bored and reached out to Jay, uh, and, uh, was like, Hey, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm trying to get this studio off the ground and <clears throat> do some real projects. And, uh, you know, if you guys are in need of any recording, uh, I'll do a free single for you as like a example of my work. And he was like, well, we don't need any recording right now, but you know, I'll, uh, I'll keep you in mind. And I was like, okay, man, cool. Whatever. And, like, we, Even we that was probably like sweet. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I was like, Hey, he actually like, wanted to talk and we chatted a little bit, but then like a couple days later he hit me up and he's like, so we need a single done for, um, for a ska against racism compilation. And I was like, okay, you, you want to do it here? And he was like, uh, yeah. How's next weekend? And I was like, Oh, okay. Oh dude, that's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's pretty, pretty cool. And then, uh, 
uh, so yeah, they, uh, we just, we just booked it and they came in one at a time. Um, and, uh, and just laid it down, man. And it was, uh, it was really awesome. The, the compilation, uh, uh, for everybody listening, you want to find it. It's called Ska Against Racism. Uh, came out on Bad Time Records and Asian Man Records, um, in collaboration with Ska Punk Daily. Um, and, uh, if you want a vinyl, you're gonna have to go to Discogs cause it's sold out in 20 minutes. Um, oh, wow. but, uh, but you can still go to Bandcamp and download the digital and it's just, uh, for donation, but they raised, uh, I want to say the last I had checked, they had raised like $55,000 for, uh, for BLM and, and communities of color. So, um, damn, that's gotta be cool knowing that like one, you got to record one of your favorite bands, but then also like it was on something like that where there was actually like social justice implications and things like that. It's gotta be, it sounds like right up your alley. Right. And there's like, and there you go. Like that's back to the ethos of punk rock. Like, you know, it's about the message. It's about actually doing something, you know? And, uh, and the fact that the, you know, the music could in some way affect the, the protest movement and fuel it, you know, uh, you know, contribute to it. That, uh, you know, to me that, it makes you as a musician um, and someone who's not a politician and not anyone with any power, um, you know, it makes you feel a little less powerless, you know, it makes you feel yeah. like, you did, like you did something like you contributed to it. And um, you know, it makes like all the lyrics um, seem like they mean something, you know, when you're singing about revolution and protests and, and everything else, you know, doing a project like that makes it, um, makes it, it makes it real, makes it tangible, you know? Yeah. Now I have a question and I don't want this to sound like, um, diminishing or anything like that, but I I think that like, you know, and you'll probably agree, but you know, there's been so much, there's such a long history of like punk songs that are like singing about revolution or like, you know, like, you know, tearing down like the establishments and things like that. And it's kind of a trope. And I'm not saying like, I read through your lyrics and I'm not saying that they're like tropey, you know what I mean? They definitely touch on those touch on those subjects, but I'm just curious, like, does it ever just feel like kind of screaming into the void when, Oh yeah. When there's like, it's just like, and it's not just music, but it's just like, nothing seems to really change or change comes so slow. And I'm just like, it's gotta be like, disheartening you know to know that like all right we're gonna try another round i'm gonna write another protest song you know what i <laughs> right. mean yeah no it does it it does get that way um and it does it, you know i i mean if if you ask bob dylan the same question um you know it, it, he would probably have to have some kind of similar answer you, you know um because yeah i mean there's been protest songs for for how long and it's uh, you know maybe not every uh, every song every album makes any kind of difference, and it does you know it does seem like screaming into the void, and sometimes it is tropey. Like some bands you hear, and you're like, okay, someone, you know, this this doesn't seem like it comes from the heart, you know, like, and that's when I think it gets tropey. But like, uh, you know, so that song, the song on my uh, EP, there's uh, the one that touches on the revolution is Firelight, and. Uh, that one i was just like i literally wrote it out of anger because i was sitting here um and i was you know just hanging out at one afternoon and looked through instagram and i'm seeing live feeds from some of the protests downtown 
Um, and one of them was, uh, my friend that was out there. Uh, and like, I'm tuned into this thing for like 30 seconds and I see people starting to get trampled by police horses. And then my buddy's feed goes all wild and shaky. And I was like, Oh fuck. Like, are they getting beat up and arrested right now? Like we should probably go down there. So I, uh, I grabbed my medical bag and threw it in the car and we like raced down there and, you know, made sure everybody was okay and stuff. And, uh, and you know, we didn't even know it was happening on that particular day. It was just like tuned into Instagram and holy shit, there's, this is going down. Oh my God. Is it going down? Like for real? And people are getting hurt. Uh, we need to go, you know, you know, we need to go do that. So that was that song. And then I came back and I I wrote that song. I just like purely out of uh, complete frustration. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I guess to answer the, the actual question, um, yeah, it does, it does get tropey. It does feel like screaming into the void, but, um, you know, at the same time, you and gotta, again, that's not to you, diminish it. That's not to like no. take away the, the need for that. Like it definitely like, I, I think like the main thing to take away is like the writing the music about it. And you're, you're a perfect example of like talk the talk, walk the walk. I think because you're involved in these types of protests, you take personal responsibility as you just described. But I think that's like a common criticism of, of certain genres. And you know, you can take any genre that takes a political stance at all, but people will write music about it, but then that's all they do. You know what I mean? Like they talk about right. the revolution and then, then you're just whining. In my opinion. Right. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and there's there's definitely I mean, even in the in the punk genre, there's definitely artists I think that have been guilty of that. I think in the you know, probably mostly you know, on the local level. Um which ones? You know, no, that, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I'm thinking I'm thinking like way into my past to be honest with you. Um but just, you know, I think, uh, you know, back in the day, they used to, they used to call those people posers, right? Yeah. With, with, with <laughs> so, a U. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. For the U. Yes. You know? Um, so yeah, I think that's just, uh, you know, that's part of it. You're going to have, um, people that don't walk the walk, but at the same time, I think part of the whole punk rock ethos and, and uh, I, you know, I keep, I feel like I'm beating that phrase to death, but, um, is that the, uh, the community itself is, uh, is revolutionary in its existence. Um, you know, the music started out being more or less outlawed. It was not, it was not welcomed by the community. You know, you weren't throwing shows at your community center. You were doing it in some nasty old warehouse and you had guys being lookouts for the cops and then everybody would have to run. And, uh, you know, like people would get beat up. And I mean, it's like, you know, like the movie SLC punk, like, that's how it was, man. That is, that is really how this whole genre started, um, was a bunch of kids squatting in vacant buildings and recording on shitty tape machines. And, you know, the whole community in and of itself was like a place for people to go that were otherwise outcasts, you know, like the punk community has always been welcoming of, you know, LGBT, uh, people of color. Like it has always been that way. That's, you know, that's something that has always been, has been always been a very egalitarian community. It's always been, um, you know, and people can say what they want about, you know, fashion punks and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, people being ostracized, but you know, the message has always been, a welcoming message of unity and everybody's in this together. Um, and I think the existence of that 
it is revolutionary in and of itself. It's because it's striving to, you know, bring about a better world. You know, you look at a place yeah. like the Trumbleplex. Like that's that place has been that place since the seventies. You know, like that building itself, the fact that it's still there, the fact that it's still inhabited by people that participate in this community that throw shows and make art and do, I mean, they do everything down there. They do drag shows, they do all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, I think the existence of that community, um, it, it's not making any headlines, um, but it is, you know, it is revolutionary in and of itself. Yeah. No, 100%. 100%. Um, that makes sense. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, it does. It's just, you know, I was just like processing it all and I had a question and I just fucking lost it. It just like scattered off into the void. Um But yeah, okay, so I'll I'll just try to sidetrack. <laughs> and it'll come back <laughs> to me. It'll come back to me, but you um oh yeah, here's a here's a question that I was going to ask while I try to think of the other one. Uh so I noticed that you did a cover on on this ep and i was just curious like tell tell me about that like what was the choice of that and how do you feel like it fits in with the rest of the stuff um well so that is a um that is an old irish traditional song um called the parting glass and it's um it is uh it's interesting because it's uh it's used for a lot of different things it's um it's a common like end of the night song, you know, in a pub, you might all sing it together before everybody goes home for the night. Um, it's also a common funeral song and it's written, uh, from the perspective of the dead guy. Um, so it's kind of interesting. And, uh, I just, you know, I started playing it. Um, I think the first time I, I sang it was, uh, a few years ago, I was out in Denver uh, with uh, with the guy who's who's on the recording with me. Uh, his name is uh, Ryan Lane or Xavier O'Lewin. Um, and uh, he uh, he was the one that showed it to me. Uh, we uh, we sang it together on stage um, St. Patrick's Day in Denver, or I think whatever that would have been, 2018. Um, and uh, along with uh, Fields of Athenry. Uh, which is another great Irish tune that I really like. Um, and, uh, you know, Dropkick Murphy's already did that one. So uh, I was like, man, I want to do some kind of cover on this because part of the whole Pandemic Pat thing was that it's like, it's a lit, like you said, it's it's kind of, it's not a joke, but it's also not too serious and it's very tongue in cheek and uh, sort of like in the in the subtext of that, I guess, is like, the idea was sort of to make like a really cliche punk record, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. supposed to be. And one, you know, one of the great cliches is doing a cover of a song that isn't punk. Um, and, and turning uh, it into punk. Yeah. And turning it into punk. That's come on. That's like, you know, that's bread and butter yeah. stuff. So 100%. yeah. And I didn't want to do a pop song. I didn't want to do a country song. I didn't want to do anything. So I was like, let's, do something that some people might know. Like a lot of people in the world know this song. Um, but the people in my immediate circle might not necessarily know it. Um, and we can invoke the extra instrumentation with the tin whistle on there and get that vibe. Um, you know, so that was the, that was the reason for choosing that. Um, and I just think it's a really beautiful song. I mean, if you look at the lyrics, the, I think the, genius of it being from the dead guy's perspective uh as he's you know floating up into the ether or whatever 
uh, I just think it's really cool. Uh, and I, you know, I think I find the lyrics very moving. Uh, I really like how Ryan sang it. Uh, it's, uh, and about the recording, actually, it's kind of interesting. Um, because that, um, that first part where it's this slow intro where it's just acapella and guitar feedback, uh, that part was recorded like a year and a half ago or a little over a year ago, um, where I cut a record for him. Um, and that was like, Oh, okay. That was actually like part of a, a parting glass rendition that we did for that record. Uh, and it didn't, it, it hit the cutting room floor and we didn't, we didn't like it at the end. He didn't like it. I wasn't thrilled with it. We were like, ah, you know, it's cool, but like, it's, uh, you know, the original song, if you sing it at that tempo, it's like seven minutes long. Like the fact that he could sing that whole thing. I was like, wow, man, Jesus, like that is incredible. Cause he's just belting this acapella thing for seven minutes. Um, and I have the full recording still, of course. Uh, but, uh, but ultimately it didn't fit the record. So it hit the floor. Um, and then when I decided to do the parting glass for this, I had the whole thing already mixed and I was like going back and forth with the mastering engineer and, uh, uh, who was, uh, Stefan Edgerton, um, of the descendants. Um, Oh, dope. Really cool guy. Can't say enough good things about Stefan. Uh, so shout out to Stefan. You are the man. Um, he did a fantastic job uh, on my EP, but so we were going back and forth, and I was like, "He's like, I really like this parting glass cover, man. It's very cool." Um, and I was like, "Yeah, but like, I was like, do you think it needs something extra? Like, I have this acapella thing, should I throw it in there?" Um, and he's like, "Yeah, give it a shot, you know." So I actually brought that old recording in, cut it up, and like placed it in there so that it would be an intro. Um, and then it would just repeat the first line. Uh, and I was, uh, you know, I was really happy with how that turns, how it turned out. And it, it's just kind of funny because they were recorded like a year apart. Uh, and you would never know. Um, you yeah. know, and, and Ryan appears on the, uh, on the first track on the EP. Um, and that was, he was actually here. He came through town in, uh, oh, June or July, I think. Um, and put that track on New Year's resolutions in the, in the outro there. So that's oh, the same okay. guy. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, him and I, he's like my OG, uh, music partner, him and I have been playing together since we were 14, I think. Um, oh, nice. Well, since I was 14, he's a couple of years older than me. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's just a really cool thing. You know, it's a song that we both love. Um, and, uh, it was just like, you know, I, I guess that was the other reason for picking that song was I knew he was coming to town <clears throat> and I was like, Hey, what's something that we can do together that we both know that we can just like get in the studio and crush it out. And, uh, and so that was, you know, that was part of that decision. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, kind of just like back to the, 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 that you had the dude from the descendants, what you said, master the EP. Yes. Yep. He mastered yeah. It. It's, it's so cool when you can work with somebody I mean that it's kind of reminds me of my experience like recording the In a Daydream EP with uh with Nick Diener, who you know. Oh yeah. Awesome. Oh yeah, Diener's an awesome guy. Yeah, I've bought some gear off Diener before. He's he's a great dude. Yeah, it's just it's so awesome cuz like when I was in high school, I've told this story before, but like we went to the same high school or at least we graduated from the same high school and uh I was in 8th grade when he was a senior. But like that, my in eighth grade is when I became like a punk kid. It's when I got my first guitar, and I remember Nick was in the Swellers, and the Swellers were playing all over the place, and they basically started touring like right around then. So like Nick Diener was like this 
mythical creature to me. You know what I mean? Like we live oh, in the yeah. same town and I was like, Oh wow. He, you know, people from Linden can make it in bands. So like, he was just like this larger than life person, which is insanely silly. You know, it's hilarious to think about it now, but working with him has been really awesome just because like it, the, the larger point I'm making is not a selfish one. It's more like people in music, especially, but just, but celebrities in general, they're just people. And it's so nice, like, especially working in music with people like that, that you see that people just get, they get into music as a career because they genuinely just dig it. They just like music. And so it really brings those types of people down to earth when you can like share a a project with them or they work with you on your project. And obviously you're paying them, you know what I mean? But like, it's still, it's still a transaction, but like it's, it's, it's been one of the, um, highlights of my pandemic experience is being able to go to that studio and, and work with with Diener. so i was on shout out to him but like just just to relate with you on that like it's definitely it's always great when you can you know you know someone seems so far out of reach when you're younger then you grow up and you realize like we're all just people we're all just trying to connect and it's just i don't even i'm rambling like it just you know it's just good no you're absolutely <laughs> just, right uh, i mean that's uh that's that's totally the experience i had with stefan you know he was uh he seemed like he was uh, genuinely interested and wanted to make sure that what i was doing that he did the best that he could for me to make it as good as it could be you know like we went we went through a couple revisions of mix notes he listened to it on a couple systems um, you know, and through the course of the whole thing, like we just talked to like, gear, we talked plugins, we talked engineering, like, w- w- you know, we got into like some really nitty gritty stuff and he gave me a lot of good advice and it was, uh, I learned a lot, um, you know, got to work with him, got to hear some cool stories from, um, you know, from the descendants and from the blasting room. Um, so that was, uh, you know, that was really cool. Cause that's like, you know, for me, like the blasting room is like, it's like one of those mythical studios, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that's where Bill Stevenson's a producer. And, uh, so it was just, it was really cool. And, you know, I had a similar, um, experience with another mastering engineer, um, Alan Douches. Um, uh, this summer I've been, I've done a couple projects, um, that I sent to him now. He did, uh, the latest Gator Pit single, which is actually, uh, that should be coming out in a couple weeks here with a video. And then he mastered the, uh, the aperture EP that I was, uh, you know, part of writing and recording. And that was the same sort of thing. It's like, you know, we're looking around for a mastering engineer and I'm just kind of Googling around and I'm like looking at my favorite producers and I'm like, all right, you know, I love Kurt Blue and God city, um, and death wish and everything that is that community. I love all the stuff they put out. I love the sound of it. Uh, you know, just the aesthetic. It's just great, great stuff. And so I'm like, who does Kurt Blue use for mastering? And that's what led me to Alan Douches. Um, and I was like, well, let's see, you know, see if he'll do do our stuff. And then he did. And I got to go out there to New York and I, you know, I was like, you know what, this is uh, this is worth it. I'm going to take the weekend. I'm going to drive out to New York just to sit in the studio and learn from one of the masters. I mean, if you look at that guy's catalog, he has done everything like yeah if he if he didn't do one of your top five favorite records i would i would be shocked um oh wow 
I'm telling you, look at look at his all music. It's it's a pretty incredible career that he's had, and uh, and when you have something mastered by him, you see why. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, what you get back is uh, really really awesome, and and he's also great to work with. It's just you know, like you're saying, same same thing. All these people that are um, super successful in music and, and that are famous or or whatever, they're they're still musicians and they're still people, and they're. Um, especially on the production engineering side of things, it seems to me like they they genuinely care about every track that comes through their studio. Yeah, um, which, I know, especially know, with Diener, he just wants to have fun and like make mm-hmm. cool sounds. Like he's genuinely has like this childlike um, just love for just finding yep. new sounds. This, you know what I mean? Just like having Absolutely. fun. Like, had, that was the that was like a majority of why it was so awesome was just like I would go in with the attitude of like let's see like i would have an idea for what i wanted in a song but I'll, i would give it to him i'd be like how can we use this space your gear the studio what's the best way to use your spot to to kind of do what i want to do so it was a very cool collaborative effort but i just like he had such a high energy and such like a such an enthusiasm about using the studio and like finding cool sounds that i just ran with that and i think that's something that when you can find that kind of working relationship with a producer it's like you know bottle it you know what i mean oh yeah i mean that's yeah seriously yeah that's the the lightning in a bottle it's the magic you gotta you gotta have that and that's you know a testament to him being a good producer because that's what a good producer will do is create an environment that is conducive to being creative you know that's that's part of the thing that's part of the studio magic you know is uh you know it's not if you come into a space and it's super sterile and the guy's like huh are you here to record some songs Cool. Yeah. yeah, checking you know, his watch like, the whole time. Yeah, checking his watch, like going slow, you know. But if you come in, somebody's like, "Hey, let's, you know, let's hear your songs. Why don't you play through them? Let's let's break them down, you know. Let's see what fits. Let's get, you know, some sounds going, some ideas, you know. And like maybe we need to restructure some things. Like let's work on this hook and make sure that it's as catchy and awesome as it can be, you know. And um, you know, taking you know that amount of effort and that you know that's it's really a two-way street when it comes to recording like the the producer is ultimately guiding the process you know it's always should be the artist's vision that's being executed but um you know it's uh you know it's similar to being i guess on a on an airplane or a ship or something like you know the producer's the the guy that knows how to fly the plane you know yeah yeah uh, you know he's got a lot of at the end of the day he's going to have a huge impact you know um, regardless of everything, it's there's gonna be a huge impact. You know, if you take a guitar tone, you know, if you if you went in there with your in a daydream stuff, and he was like, "Well, we're gonna do some uh, some drowning pool guitar tone for this," you know, <laughs> it, it wouldn't come out the right way. Um, you know, yeah, you'd be surprised. We did have baritone on one, just like buried. I'm like, I really want the stick. He's like, you know what? He just grabbed the baritone and started playing. I'm like, we're keeping it. Oh, hey, dude, I, uh, I can't say enough about baritone guitars. I I love a baritone guitar. I think they're great. I, I, have I never thought there would be a reverend baritone on one of my songs. I mean, it makes sense. Oh, it, makes it was sense. the reverend to the, uh, the yeah. descent, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, dude. Yeah, one of my buddies has a descent, and I, I love that thing. I think it's really cool. It's nice because it makes the... Uh, I think it's like a 20, 27.5 inch scale, I believe. Um, and so it's like, it takes the baritone sound, but puts it in a, in a normal scale length. So 
um, you know, if you if you're not used to playing a baritone, you can still pick it up and play it. Yeah, yeah. But okay, so before I want, um, which is gonna, really cool. Gonna wrap it up here in a minute. Um, but I, I wanted to go back and ask you one more question about your EP. Um, okay. That I that I forgot before we started talking about producing and shit. Um, and first of all, you know, you will definitely have you back on sometime you know i'm sure there'll be more projects more stuff maybe we can do another episode where i can actually like come out after the pandemic and stuff i can actually come out and do one in in the studio like we talked about doing before i'm definitely still down to do that um, oh i would love to do that so yeah that'd be sick just like nerd out about gear and things like that i would love to do that and sort of do like a audio tour of your studio and kind of promote the studio that way i thought that'd yeah, be really sure. sweet but about the record so like I was just like kind of reading through the lyrics and stuff and the, the lyrics you sent me, are they in order of like, that's how they appear on the EP? Cause it was like new year's uh, resolutions yes. first. Okay. Yes. So I was just curious about like the choice because when I think of like new year's resolutions as it relates to this year specifically, you know, like everybody 2020, it's like one of those, it's a cool sounding year. You know what I mean? Everyone <laughs> right. had these high hopes and things like that. Uh, yeah. But the, the lyrics are pretty like aggressively, like I would say like negative or very like angry or things like that or something. I'm just kind of curious. There's, there's definitely like a juxtaposition there and placed on a record. That's kind of like punky. And it's like, kind of like about the pandemic, things like that. What was your thought process in like entitling that song, putting it first and like, kind of, how does that, what was the goal in like opening the record with that? What was that? You know what I mean? Well, uh, you know, I guess it was, uh, I mean, you can, I think you can kind of, and well, in those lyrics, so that's the funny part about that is those lyrics were actually written. Um, I believe just right before the pandemic hit, I know they were before the pandemic hit. So, um, there's, and, and, you know, this is kind of part of just like my whole, uh, you know, my whole thing as an artist, I suppose, like I, I write lyrics and songs and stuff constantly. You know, I'm, I'm always, I always have something I could open my notebook and just pull something out, you know, and I'm never quite, yeah. you know, sometimes I'm not sure what it's going to be used for. You know, like when I wrote those lyrics, I had no intention of making a fake band called pandemic Pat and the murder hornets. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, yeah. Um, so, uh, so that was, uh, you know, there, as it relates to the pandemic, there was no intention there because the pandemic had not happened yet. Um, but, uh, uh, that was just like, a, um, I don't know. I was going through a bit of a rough time. Um, had some, some stuff fall apart on me, had some, some projects fall apart. Uh, just wasn't, wasn't feeling it. And, uh, you know, but also like, um, and I guess it was like, you know, the pandemic was, was happening when I wrote those lyrics, it just wasn't here yet. Uh, so I was aware of I, it, you know, um, it was, you know, in whatever, like, uh, it was around January 1st that I wrote the song. I think it, it might've been actually, it might've been like second week of January. Um, I think, and, uh, you know, I was just kind of feeling down and frustrated with, uh, with the way everything was going and. Um, you know, hadn't had anything in the studio in a while and just was pretty bummed out. And, uh, you know, I'd had a falling out with a couple of friends and just some arguments and, uh, you know, my, my former band had just bit the dust before it even really got started. And, and I had put a lot of energy into that. Um, so that was really disappointing. And that was, that was kind of how I was feeling at the time, but I guess it was like, you know, and it kind of does 
sort of relate to the pandemic uh you know the last line of the song is uh, um you know another another calendar gone by it's new year's day and i can't say why i feel this way like we're out of time so roll the tape before i die and uh that was uh you know as it was as i'm actually putting the song to instrumentation and you know and arranging it and and really like playing through it and recording it was you know very much during the pandemic and i looked at that line and i was like yeah that's about it right there you know like uh you know we might we might be out of time and uh i guess i'm gonna put another recording uh recording down so it'll it'll be there forever you know um, uh, okay that makes sense uh yeah it does you know i've got a lot of uh i i suppose like i um it's one of the reasons i like recording um you know like uh i'm i always say like you know to the bands i'm in and stuff i'm like hey i love playing shows you know like i I love playing live i do but a show is just one night a recording is forever you know yeah and then and we call ourselves you know back in the day we you know uh, you know artists referred to themselves as recording artists like if you weren't recording you were not an artist you know um, right and so so i guess it, it sort of plays into that a little bit it's like you know putting this down on recording on tape it exists forever you know um and that's uh you know that was kind of the theme of that and the and the theme of the whole song was just kind of like dealing with a crisis dealing with uh you know not being in a good headspace uh and just you know getting something decent out of that in gotcha. the form of in the form of a recording yeah i definitely agree with the whole like the recording is the is the best part i mean i think experientially like I enjoy recording more than I enjoy playing live shows. Like I don't get me wrong. I love live shows. Um, I think the highs I get from a live show are probably more than recording, but just the, the return on the investment from a recording is just like you said, it's forever, man. Like when I'm not able to even speak or when I'm not able to like hit notes anymore, I'll be able to listen to myself, you know? And it's it's amazing and you know the whole point you put all this effort into the recording so that you can get more live shows like they definitely go hand in hand that way but people i feel like don't really like if you got a, like a, a slapping record they're gonna give you some they're gonna cut you some slack if the live show isn't like pristine i feel like if if it's high energy and you're off key i don't think people really give a shit if that you know if they have that record that's just awesome that's what's gonna get you something yep yep i totally agree um and uh yeah it's just there's just something about going in the studio and the um the pursuit of perfection you know that's really what it is like i wish that was more of a thing like in the diy scene because there's so many records that feel so diy you know what i mean that I'm like, ah, oh, man, this maybe just tune your guitar at least. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. I, I get the lo-fi thing, but come on, let's 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 pick up the, let's have a little, let's raise the bar a little bit. Is what I'm saying. I'm not gonna call anybody out, but I just think let's just raise the bar a little bit because if I, you know, the live show can have that charm. It can have like the guitar slightly out of tune, you know, and that's fine. And like it kind of plays into it. But on the recording, I'm just obviously it's just my opinion, but. I want I want more from it. I want like a more pristine product. 
Yeah. Yep. And it's, uh, you know, I'm, I don't want to say necessarily pristine as in like, you know, that polished, like radio ready sound, but just like you can tell, I, I mean, you look at like, you know, I'm, probably the easiest example uh but also probably one of the better ones is uh is jack white i I mean he's out there specifically finding the crappiest gear that exists like yeah yeah still a silver tone amplifier before jack white started playing a silver tone amplifier those things were worth like fucking 50 bucks man Um, (laughs) i know (laughs) and I mean, it's funny, like, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, my, my girlfriend, Caitlin, uh, we were up visiting her dad, um, a, a while ago up North and, and he brought that up. He's a guitar player and he's like, what is the deal? And he had no, he doesn't even know who Jack White is. And he's like, what is the deal with silver tone amps? He's like, I'm looking on Craigslist and I'm seeing silver tone amps for $500. He's like, you couldn't give those things away back in the day. They're absolute garbage. And I was like, well. Let me tell you, Frank, because I know exactly why they're worth that much now. And so I told him, I was like, it's, you know, it's used by the very, this very famous, you know, very prolific musician from Detroit, um, who is just, he's awesome. And his, you know, part of his whole thing is finding unique sounds and they might be, um, you know, like in an objective sense or an academic sense, they might not be what people expect a guitar to sound like but he's making it work for him and he's putting out the best version of his music. And he's, he's like bringing these things together. He's bringing the tone of this weird old amp together and he's playing it on this like slightly out of tune guitar, but he's doing it in such a way that it's with intention. You know, yeah. it's not, it's not uh, an accident. Like he's, he's orchestrating all of those things in his own little sphere to give you what the white stripes are or what right, that's artistry, are. you know, that's artistry. That's, and that's what I mean. Like, that's what I mean about the pursuit of perfection is the uh, making the most perfect thing that you can uh, out of your idea and making sure all aspects are covered, you know, and that yes. it all is cohesive, you know, and that's something, um, you know, that's something that you just don't get every day. <laughs> yeah. Like it does. Like you said, it doesn't have to be like, radio ready hi-fi but like it the most um taking an idea or taking a vibe and like pushing it to the nth degree like getting like maximizing the potential of whatever it is you're trying to do rather than just like setting up a room mic and and just you know doing a few takes and like all right we're done you know what i mean but yeah but (sighs) plenty more to talk about next time around um we'll wrap it up you know i appreciate you uh coming on and everything and do you want to yeah thanks uh, for having me man you want to just like plug where people can find the uh the record and stuff oh yeah um so i mean you can find uh me slash the studio and like everything i do um on instagram at uh torn up knuckles faded blue jeans uh which is a uh shameless pull from a dropkick murphy song called never alone if anyone was wondering um and uh you can find the um, the record uh, for order on cassette tape at pandemicpat.bandcamp.com. Um, and then just otherwise add me on Facebook. Uh, my name is Patrick Schufelt. So pretty, pretty easy to find. 
Uh, and oh, yeah. uh, the, the studio is called IO Detroit. Just like the letters IO? IO, yep. Input, output. Cool. All right, dude. Well, I appreciate it, man. We'll be in touch. I'll let you know when this is going to be out. All right. Sounds good, buddy. Thank you. Yep. Take her easy. Bye. There you have it. Again, I'm really tired. Not going to do a whole thing. Uh, shout out to our sponsor, Two Foot Parade Records. Really appreciate them jumping on board. Um, check them out, twofootparade.com, and refer back to the intro for to where to follow us. But please do, and please share this podcast, and please help us. We're trying. We're really trying. All right. Thanks, guys. Love you.